I dreamed of traveling the long road, singing my songs to that distant stranger. Yes, I know it's sad for you, but it's something I got to do. And I will be coming home, back to the mountains, back to being free from all there is to be. Coming home to live and the life I once knew. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Bedtime Bible Boys with Brock, Trey, and Theron TJ. Thanks Thanks for for listening. We love you, Mom. And you too, Gail. Or we finished off our last program talking about 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's a very popular verse. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, according to the New International wordage, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So listen to that. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins, is what it says, right? To forgive a sin, according to the law, that would mean to pay the penalty for it, right? What was the penalty? Death. Penalty was death. So Jesus Christ was the atoning sacrifice. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven, right? Well, in chapter in 1 John chapter 2 verse 2, which is only a few verses after the one we just read, it says Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, meaning the forgiver, right? The one who has paid the penalty so that we are forgiven of our sins. And not only ours, he's talking to fellow believers, not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, if they're the sins of the world, then has the world confessed them? If the world is not somebody who believes in Christ, then have they confessed their sin? Probably not. No. But 1 John verse 1 chapter 9 says, if we confess our sins, then he forgives us our sins. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, which is only four verses later, he says, Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, this is the problem, boys, is that depending on how you read this and how you translate this, and when you try and tie it back to the heart of the Father, you run into these verses that don't seem to go together. Just they like, seem to just be repeating themselves. Or to be in contrast to one another. Like one verse that says, David sinned greatly with Bathsheba and Uriah, and therefore he lost his first son that he had with Uriah, with um, Bathsheba. And then the next book of the Bible says that David always walked in the ways of the Lord all the days of his life. We're like, well, no, he didn't. Right? Or not, not necessarily that, but that David was he kept all of the Lord's commands. And we know that's not true. 
So when it's translated that way, I really think we need to sit down and think through the heart of the Father and what is truly being said. Otherwise, I think we're going to go through our whole Christian life and one verse is going to make us believe that our God loves us and that he will never forsake us and that we are already forgiven and that sin has been completely put away and we're totally forgiven of it, past, present, and future, all of it at one moment. Or that God, we'll read another one and we'll believe that God still holds our sins against us and to some degree we have to pay for those sins. And we have to reach some amount of acceptable behavior before he'll accept us as his sons. Those are two different stories, right? And we have to decide which one of them is true. They both, they are mutually exclusive. God cannot be both disgusted with your lifestyle and love everything about you all at the same time. You know what I'm saying? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, there's two words that we need to really focus in on there. The first is confess, and the second is forgive. The first, so let's talk about the word forgive when he says that God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. That word that was used, forgive, was used 163 times in the New Testament. And that Greek word that they translated into forgive in English is actually only one third of the time translated that way. Two thirds, meaning two out of every three times, it's translated as allow or leave. So that's interesting. More often than not, that same word would be translated in the New Testament like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will leave and will leave them and purifies from our unrighteousness, right? He'll leave them. He's already forgiven them. So as long as we, we're going to stick with confess for now, but let's, we're going to change that word in a minute. So as long as we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just to leave them just where they are. You know where they are? They're paid for. They're forgiven. The only way that they're not going to be treated as if they're paid for and forgiven is if we bring them back up, if we make them an issue. If we place them between us and God, then they become placed between us and God. Not through his doing, but for ours. But if we confess, I'm going to use the word agree. If we agree with him concerning our sin, he is faithful and just to do what he has already said he did. Right? He is faithful and just to keep us forgiven, to keep us under the righteousness of Christ. He's not going to bring up and make us pay for our sins again. He's not going to bring the law at us and say, you have to do this now. He's faithful and just to do for us what he said he did through Jesus Christ when we agree with him about our sin. That's really, I think, a a good translation for that. If we agree with God concerning our sins, basically concerning the condition that our sins have put us in, then he is faithful and just to leave sin, to put it aside through Jesus Christ, forgiven in Christ, and purify us. That says a whole different thing. You know what I'm saying? 
the one reading it the first way makes you feel like so geez i better like keep a list of all the things i need to be forgiven for and i better confess those when i go to church or when i say my prayers at night i better confess to the lord let me ask you a question is the lord all knowing yes that's okay that's good the lord is all knowing if he's all knowing then if you keep a list and tell him what your sins are, do you think he doesn't already know? Do you see that like you've reduced a loving father to a petty judge when you when you do that? A petty judge, meaning like you need to keep track of every little thing and get it exactly right according to every letter of the law. And I don't mean to take an attack at God's character because God did require every letter of the law to be followed if we were ever going to be forgiven of our sin. And he did it through Jesus Christ, right? So God is a judge, right? But he is our loving father. So what this verse says, and and the other word is confess. And confess, literally, if you break the two Greek words that make the word um, down, that uh, it means to it means to agree it means to agree with god so if we agree with god concerning our sins he is faithful and just and will keep our sins put away in christ in the forgiveness of christ and purify us from all unrighteousness now chapter 2 verse 2 makes a lot more sense He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. So see, we're already forgiven. And when we sin, if if you take verse 1 to say, oh, we need to confess it and we need to advocate for the the heart and how we're going to repent and what we're going to do, well, look at what 1 John 2, verse 1 says. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ. So we don't have to make a weekly defense. I don't think he wants us to live that way in him at all. You know, he has already said, Jesus is the one who has atoned, who has forgiven. He has the final word over sin. And he is going to make a defense for you. So you don't have to make a weekly confessional or a daily confessional um, uh, defense for yourself to be saved in Christ. First John chapter 1, verse 9 would be better to say, if we agree with God concerning the condition that we are in because of our sins that we are born into, and the condition that we are born into is spiritual death, because spiritual life was lost when, Brock? When... Um. Adam and Eve ate from it. Apple, tree of evil and good. Yeah, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they ate from that, they lost spiritual life. God said, the day you eat from this apple, you will surely die. Trey, did they physically die the day they ate from the apple? No. No, they didn't. They died spiritually. What did God breathe into them? The breath of life. Yes, the breath of life. That breath of life was taken away from them when they sinned and it was taken away from all of us for the word says that just as the one man died through sin all others after Adam were dead in the spirit because of his sin 
because of the one man's sin. But like the one man's sin, all death came to all through Adam. Life will come to all through one man in Jesus Christ. How's that cool? I mean, think God's like almost just so poetic in the way he wrote this story, right? All fell because of Adam's sin. And people say, God, how can I be held accountable? How can everybody be accountable because of Adam's sin? Well, guess what? All men were also saved through one man, Jesus Christ. And women. Men is means both in this case, right? So that's pretty cool. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive, our, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we wanted to be made righteous, it would take a lot more than confession. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 lays out to the people what you would, the things you would have to do if you wanted to inherit eternal life through righteousness. And do you guys remember what the last thing he says? He, he gives all these examples, and then the very last thing he tells the people, do this. Here's what you have to do. Let me summarize this for you. Here's what you have to do. Do you remember what he tells the people? If you want people to know you're the apostles, love each other. Well, okay, yeah, and that was a different message. But on this one, he specifically, like, uh, the people are asking him, because you're right, he does say, um, love one another. You know, if you do this, all men will know that you belong to me. And that's correct. But this was the Pharisees, or this was people, <clears throat> are, um, sorry, this was people who wanted to be righteous by their works, asking God, what can we do to get into heaven? And Jesus really boiled it down, saying, one very simple rule at the end of his talking to them. He said, be as perfect as God. If you want to get into heaven by the things you're going to do, you have to be as perfect as God. Otherwise, if we're not going to be as perfect as God, then what do we need? We need Jesus. Yes, we need his grace. Right? When you say, well, Jesus came, so now we have his grace, but we still need to confess things, and there's still some rituals we need to go through, and we still need to show some metric of anything to to uh, to be um, to, to meet the, the bottom criteria to be saved. You know what you're doing? You're watering down Jesus's work. You're taking work that was perfect, and you're making it imperfect when you say you need Christ plus you. No, once you've accepted Christ, that's all you need. You needed Christ. You don't need anything you're going to do. Our life in Christ is not about what we are going to do for our God. Our life in Christ is about what he has already done for us. And the sooner you get that through your head and into your heart, the sooner you will actually start living in a way that might make it look to others like your life in Christ is about what you can do for him. But that was never the goal. That's just what happened when you realized that he was everything to you and has already done everything for you. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we went off on 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I hope it was enjoyable, and I hope you boys learned something. The, the big takeaway, we talked about it last night, is this. 
you know the heart of your father. When you read something in the Bible and it gives you fear, you have to discern. Is that fear, outright fear, that God's mad at me and disgusted with me? And if it's that, you're not reading it correctly. You need to understand more, right? You lack discernment. That's okay. Just have peace knowing that you're going to understand and be farther along someday. If you read it, and it's not necessarily fear, but it's uncomfortable, that could be a good thing. Because the Lord needs to sometimes push us into uncomfortable places so that way we, we just get our lives, we get moving. That's different. You understand the difference, right? Okay. Discomfort is push-ups, right? Fear is getting beat with a whip. You see that one of them's good for you and the other one is not good for you at all. One of them makes you stronger and builds you up. The other one just beats you down and takes away any pride you have. It's like sin and not sin. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you listen to your flesh, it's like the whip. And then when you don't listen to your flesh, it's the push-ups. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So just because it might make you a little uncomfortable, that could be the spirit confronting you. Okay? You need his discernment when you read the word. But if you read the word and the translation makes you just feel empty and scared for your life because you think God, your loving father, is going to reject you, you just need to grow into that. Leave that verse aside. Come back to it later on in life. You'll be fine. If you don't want to do that and you can't wait, ask the spirit to help you and then try and research it and understand it better. Okay? Always remember, he loves you. He is not going to leave you. He is not going to reject you. Okay? Okay. And neither am I. I love you, boys. I love you, too. You guys are good kids. Thank you.